Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Aftersight. I'm your host, Penn Street. I want to give a huge thank you to every single one of you who donated to Audio Information Network of Colorado on Colorado's Gives Day. If you missed out donating during Colorado's Give Day, it's not too late. You can just go onto our website and donate straight from the homepage. So it's really easy. Just go to aincolorado.org. Thank you all for all your support so that AINC can continue to be free as well as the devices that we get to hand out. Today, I have an incredible guest. She's an amazing young woman, Karis, and Karis is an extraordinary person that actually gives me hope for our future. It's so wonderful when I get a chance to talk to young people that are really changing the world in so many ways, and Karis is definitely an example of that. Her passion for science is contagious, even for some of you out there that <laughs> may not believe me at the moment, but by the end of the podcast, I think you'll have changed your mind. So stay tuned. And when we come back, Karis will share the journey into her vision loss, but she's also going to share why using her brain and her skills and her new techniques is really, really going to change the world for all of us. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Aftersight with Penn Street, an AINC original podcast. If you enjoy what you hear, please visit aincolorado.org for more shows, news, and articles read by our amazing staff and volunteers. If you have a question for Penn or would like to recommend a guest for future shows, please visit aincolorado.org slash podcast dash guest. And now here's your host, Penn Street. Welcome, welcome to Aftersight. And I know you are sick. You are so sweet for coming on during your break from school and also being sick. But welcome to Aftersight. Thank you. So, Karis, I love to start off the show with some quick fire questions to my guests so that the audience can get to know you just a little bit before we dive deep in. Is that okay? Yep, that's great. Okay, awesome. Are you a cat person or a dog person? Dog person. Okay. And I know Definitely you just got your person. first guy dog. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So lucky for him, right? Absolutely. Uh, and we'll talk more about, yeah, we'll talk uh, more about your four-legged friend there um, here in a little bit. Um, Karis, are you more of a group project kind of person or a solo project? Uh, probably more solo most of the time, I think. I mean, but it can be situational, right? Because sometimes, sometimes like it can kind of depend on what it is that you're doing. Yeah. It's always curious. I'm always curious about that question because I, I love working independently. Um, are you more of a leader or a follower? Uh, again, I think that's a situational kind of thing. I'm, I don't think I really fit one particular role. Mm. <laughs> well, hearing you at the, that one. <laughs> well, hearing you at the convention um, not too long ago, it seemed like you were more like a leader. But 
I also think that good leaders need to be good followers. So, so that makes sense. Um, so are you math or science? Uh, they're kind of one and the same. You can't really have one without the mm. other in most cases. So I'd say both. Good answer. Am I allowed to, am I allowed to say that? <laughs> you are totally allowed to say that. <laughs> Me, on the other hand, I love math. But I do think I agree with you that you can't have science without math. But I, mm -hmm. I, um, I, I always, always loved math. And it always came really easy to me. So I was one of those, the nerds over in the corner. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so Karis, the other thing I always ask my guests is music is really important to me. And I'm always curious if you had a theme song, what would it be? Oh, gosh. I have no idea. Although one time I was I was in a I don't know if it was a cab sing or a nav sing, but someone started playing um the chemistry song from forever ago. Because the whole oh. uh, you know, hydrogen and helium and lithium, beryllium, all of that. Yes. And um so yeah. I, think, I think that fits me pretty well. I I I'm, I think that that'll do. That sounds good. That sounds good. <laughs> Uh, well, Chris, thank you again for being here on Aftersight. And um, I know this is, you finally get a little bit of a break from school and relax and everything. So I really appreciate you spending some of your time with us here today. Absolutely. Um, I'm excited so, to. Oh, good. And we met briefly, we didn't spend a lot of time together um, at the Colorado National Federation of the Blind Convention, just like what I, I think it's been like about a month ago. Um, month, yeah. And yeah, and you were, you know, you received one of the one of the scholarships. And so you got up and you shared your, you know, a little bit about your story and stuff. And it really blew me away by not only your story, but by the confidence that you shared with the audience and you know just the inspiration and you just seem like you had your life together <laughs> um um but i know that your vision loss is is very new to you and so that also struck me because you seem like um, somebody who was just so confident in your skills and your new, this new life you've kind of been thrown into. Can you share with us a little bit about when you got that diagnosis? And it actually took you a while to even go to the doctor, right, to, to get that diagnosis. And how in the world did you do so much in such a short period of time? Um, so it, it was kind of a confusing thing. I, I didn't initially really know what was going on. I knew that my, I was having some vision problems. Um, but I didn't know the extent of them. Um, I, I never really been around blind people. Um, and so I didn't understand like a lot of sighted people, um, the spectrums that blindness is. So in my mind, it's yeah. like, okay, well, you can see or you can't. And obviously I can see, so let's figure this out because I don't have the money to go get new glasses right now. Um, I, I mm. just figured that my prescription was changing and I had already lost my vision in um, my right eye um, several years prior um, due to a blood clot. And um, 
you know, it, it took me a little bit to get used to the, like the equi- equilibrium difference that that caused and things like yes. that. But, um, but I, I got it figured out and, and I was, you know, just kept on keeping on and, um, going forward from there. But, um, back in leading up to 2019, my vision had been slowly getting worse and I didn't really know what was going on. And it's the kind of thing that I think from what I've learned since that your brain kind of tries to adapt for what it can't see for a while to some extent. And, um, it it had gotten to the point where it was really starting to interfere with school. I already got some accommodations that allowed me to, um, get some assistance from my access center. Um, and that was helping, but it, it was getting to where I couldn't see the board and I couldn't, um, read my notes in, in regular size print on my computer. And, um, so mm-hmm. I had searched around on my computer. I found the magnifier. I was making things bigger. I had started taking pictures of the board so that I could save them to my computer and blow them up and see what I was doing. But it never even crossed my mind really that it was something more than that. And then, mm-hmm. um, one semester, as all of this was getting worse, um, I was hired by the accessibility center at my school to be a reader scribe for, um, someone else who was blind for their chemistry lab. And, and ex- explain to our audience what a reader scribe is. So a reader scribe is, um, when someone is blind, they are someone who can read material from hard copy print and then write down the responses back onto that hard copy print. Um, mm. when it's not in an accessible form, say on the computer, it can just be done verbally. Um, it's, it's okay. used a lot also for, you know, tests and exams and things like that as well. And so you, um, were, so... Hi- you were, hi- <laughs> so they hired you as a reader scribe, yes. even though you were, well, wow. They didn't really, Even though you were at the like, they didn't know the extent of my vision loss at that point. I didn't really understand the extent of my vision loss at that point. Mm. Um, I hadn't thought anything of it and I hadn't really shared how bad that had gotten past what I was already getting accommodations for because, you know, I wasn't using a cane. I didn't, I didn't know any of that. So I was just pushing on, you know, so I didn't really, yeah. um, I didn't really know that it was something that might be a problem. And so, you know, I accepted and, and let's be honest, I needed the work study. Um, you know, the, yeah. the money helps when you're a college student to yes. pay the bills. And absolutely. Um, so I accepted and, um, I met them prior to classes and we started getting things ready and then we delved into the semester and, um, pretty quickly she realized that, um, I was doing things in kind of a different way. So all of a sudden I'd, I'd hear me mm-hmm. Hear her saying, you know, hey, Karis, why are you taking pictures of the board? Because she could hear me, you know, taking pictures with my oh. camera and I'd blow them up so that I could see what the board said for her and write down notes for her. And then another time, you know, we're working on reader scribe stuff and, and she's like, hey, Karis, why is your nose so close to the paper? And because I literally practically had my nose touching the paper at that point to read the print wow. to her. And, um, you know, so yeah. over time, she was kind of seeing these different things and asking me questions about it. And one day, finally, she kind of pulled me aside when we were working and she said, you know, this isn't normal. You need to go see a doctor. Oh, and wow. so I followed her advice and I did. And, and sure enough, I was already well within uh, well within legal blindness. I was 2,400 in one eye movement at two oh. feet in the other. And I'd just been going on doing my thing. And um 
uh, you know, I, I think that had I not met her when I did, things would have been a lot more difficult for me because she really gave me that jump start into um, the resources that would help me to um, continue on, you know, living my life to its fullest extent. So she got me set up with where I could right. get training. She got me set up with DVR, got me all the resources so that I could call them and, and get wow. started with, with those programs. Um, you know, she, and, and to, <laughs> and it was so sweet of her, but she kept me on as a reader scribe that entire semester, despite oh. the fact that I was struggling through the whole thing. And, um, honestly, I, I can't thank her enough for that. Wow. So you, this, and this happened in 2019, correct? Yeah. My diagnosis was in 2019 when I, when I first went to that doctor. Wow. And, um, yeah. Oh, it's just so impressive to me how quickly you, I don't even know if accepted is the right word, but how you moved into this new life, uh, into vision loss and, I mean, your whole world changed. So like, what were some of the first steps that you did to make sure that you were beginning to get those tools and those trainings so that you could live your best life? Well, um, luckily, uh, I was introduced to Colorado Center for the Blind so that I could go and get blindness training. And that was, that was absolutely, um, very, very important. I, uh, it, it really set the foundation for me to be able to grow on it. And I needed that. I'll be, I'll be honest. I spent a lot of time in tech class. A lot of my time was spent just learning how to type. Cause I'll be honest. I took, I took typing in seventh grade and I cheated just like every <laughs> other person in the class. I looked at the keyboard <laughs> when the teacher wasn't around because it was just, it just seemed so silly to have to learn how to type as a seventh grader without looking at the keys and um, when, when it was printed right there on the keys, like it made zero sense to me at the time. So that was something I had yeah. to completely relearn how to do. And, um, you know, you definitely cannot cheat when you can't see anything. So um, it was a learning process and it was frustrating at times. And, and um, you know, but then I, you know, I was learning Braille and that, you know, was a whole, a whole new thing. I remember my very first Braille class. It was like I'd be trying to read those first five letters in the McDuffie. And yeah. you'd go 10 minutes and then your fingers are numb. And then but over the course of the nine months <laughs> or so, you know, your fingers really start to build up that stamina. You get more used to it. Um, but yeah. there were times where I was I really questioned, you know, am I going to be able to do this? Because it's mm -hmm. a lot like you really feel like you're starting from scratch when you used to be able to, you know, do everything as you needed to. You, you really feel like you're going backwards and it can be very um, overwhelming, um, and very frustrating. And it can really just make you feel like you're never going to be able to get to that place again. But, um, you know, I, I even had one point where I asked myself, well, maybe, maybe I should, maybe I should see if I can move in with someone because how am I going to do all this on my own? I live by myself. And, uh -huh. um, I, that was, I think one of the first really important decisions that I made was that I, I did not want to lose that independence. And I was worried that if right. I did make that choice to move in with someone and become fairly dependent on them, that I would not be able to go back to that full independence. Um, and that was something mm. that I was not okay with. I wanted that independence. So I made the decision right there and then that I was not going to move in with someone else. I was not going to 
you know, move out of my apartment. And believe me, there were some <laughs> crazy times. Um, yeah. I, I, I remember one specific day I made homemade um, baked beans in the crock pot and yeah. in the process of trying to transfer them to a bag, they spilled all over my kitchen floor. All that molasses, all oh, that sticky, no. all that everything. And oh. I just remember trying to clean all of that up when I couldn't see it and just the mess that it made. And, um, you know, it's hard. You oh. run into those kind of things when you're learning the techniques that are going to work for you as a blind person. Yeah. Um, well, even when you have the technique down, you can still make those messes. Yes. So, yes. And yeah, so but I think um, they are more frustrating early. Yes. Yes. And so, you know, so I made that decision. I went to Colorado Center for the Blind. I got my training there. Um, and then I started, you know, going back to school. COVID hit right as I was getting done with um, right before I, about a week before I graduated from Colorado Center for the Blinds. And I was also going to school at the same time at that point, COVID hit. So I was going pretty much 120 oh. miles an hour. And then COVID hit yeah. and I, I, I was like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. All of a sudden school wants me to use these platforms that I have no clue how to maneuver. And that was um, what really gave me the push to start working with DVR services as well um, because oh, okay. of all the changes that occurred and the things I needed to learn how to use very quickly um, when COVID hit. And I'm still using DVR services. It's, it's really um, helped me to increase, you know, my knowledge for technology, yes. for Braille, for everything that I need to use for my education and that I'm sure will carry on into a career later on. Yeah, and those and for our listeners, DVR is the acronym for Division of Vocational Rehabilitation. And it's a federally funded program in every state in the United States. It's really a great, great program for people who want to go back to school or change careers you know, those kinds of things that are living with a disability. So definitely a big shout out to DVR. I'm really glad you had, you have them, not just had, but have DVR. They really are a, a great resource for all of us. I've been through their programs actually several times with, you know, because right out of high school, I went through their program. And then later on as an adult, when I lost, you know, a huge chunk of vision overnight, I went back and and got some more skills. So it's, it's really not just a one-time deal like cars. I don't know if you know that, but you know, if later on, you know, your career changes, your situation changes, you can actually go back through um, and get those skills, you know, kind of updated and reset if needed. Mm -hmm. So when did you get excited about the STEM program? Well, it, it didn't happen all at once. Um, I think I started out, I think my very first plan was to be a teacher, um, and that changed very quickly. I, I figured out pretty quickly that, you know, I'm, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not the most comfortable around a lot of people, whether that be kids or not. And um, I, I, I just found out pretty quickly that that was not an avenue that was going to work very well for me. Um, and yeah. then I, I think I had a point where I wanted to be a sign language interpreter. and for whatever reasons I don't even remember anymore, um, that ended up not being an ideal path either. And so I ended up going to um, community college for um, 
an associate of science degree. Cause I'm like, Oh, I like animals. So I probably like biology. So let's just go that direction. And, um, I didn't really know what I was getting into. Um, and so I started studying that. I took, you know, my basic biology classes. I took some basic maths that I needed to catch up on. I, you know, did what I needed to do for the requirements for that degree, but it wasn't really until I went to Metro, um, that I found chemistry. Um, I went there and one of the, one of the prerequisites for, you know, a biology degree, which is, I think what I started out going for was chemistry. And I, I went to chemistry and it was, it was not easy. It's really kind of like learning a new language at first. But I really, really loved it. I, I relished in the way that it worked and how it explained the biology that I had learned. And I really just yeah. was so entranced by the chemistry that I kind of was like, I need to move things around because this, this I love this. Like, I, I'm, I'm uh, cool with the other stuff. It's interesting. But the chemistry path just really sucked me in. And I, I just wanted to know more. And... So I had changed my, my degree plan, um, to get a chemistry major. And, um, my plan was to go into medical laboratory sciences with that. That kind of changed in terms of paths when I lost my vision. Mm -hmm. Um, it is not the most accessible field for the blind. I think there's a lot of growth that needs to happen there in order for it to be right. so there's so much that's done visually there's a lot of machinery involved that is all touch screens no accessible no accessibility built in mm. um and after talking to um some of the people that that are part of that program at my school that help lead you into that program and also talking to the medical laboratory science schools themselves there was just no practicality to getting a career, even if I made it through school. And oh. then to that point, they'd never had anyone, even with low vision, get through the courses, let alone someone wow. who had as much vision loss as I do. And um, while I could probably could have stayed there and pushed and tried to make it happen, I also wanted to be able to come out of it with a career um, that kind of right. needed to be one of my main goals. So so I decided to move things around a bit. I would love to see that change eventually, but um, yeah, it wasn't the fight that I was ready to go for at that time. So I um, right, right. started looking at how I could continue keeping, you know, chemistry, which I love, and staying on on a path um, that would that would be work for me. And I found out right. that my college had environmental chemistry as an option. And, um, being as environmental science, um, and the health of our environment is something that's a strong value for me. Um, it ended up really being a very, very wonderful fit for me. So what's your, what is your dream to do with your degree when you get, when you finish up school? Um, I mean, I don't think I have one, a one and done dream at this point. I think it's more, you know, I, I'm thinking that EPA could be a good option or, working with um, something like Denver Water or, you know, Rocky Mountain National Forest with their soils or something like that would all be really great options. But there really is a lot out there that that degree can be used in. Even even some of um, like the Army Corps or 
um, the Navy will have civilian openings sometimes where they utilize those um, types of jobs. And so I don't want to limit myself when there might, you know, to one option, when there might Absolutely, be something out yeah. there that might fit me much better in the long run. That's really super smart of you um, because of that. Where do you, where do you, do you know, have you met other people who are blind or visually impaired in this field? Um, not environmental chemistry specifically, but chemistry, yes. Um, my okay. uh, independent science who I work for, um, they have several blind chemists um, that work with them. And that's a fairly new position for you, correct? Yes, I've only been um, part of their team for about, oh, about a, about a month as well or so. Yeah. Maybe a little bit more. And it's such, this is a very coveted job. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but I actually got an email from somebody that even before we were going to have you on the podcast that wanted everybody to know that you had gotten this position and how exciting it was. So that's really, really awesome. I think now my my throat's going to go. Um, you you are playing it down, but it it really is a a an awesome job that oh, you were you. that you flesh. landed in. So <laughs> it's um it's true. Um, what you're doing is really really phenomenal. So I wanted to ask you, and maybe you don't have an answer for this, but how do we get kids and it's not just kids that are blind and visually impaired i mean I, I feel like it's across the board in america but how are we how do we get but especially blind and visually impaired kiddos to get more excited about the stem program oh goodness um i think a lot of it it, it can be hard when with with the kiddos you have to find stuff that is going to intrigue them and um, fascinate them and make them want to learn more, but still keep it within, um, parameters that they can understand. And sometimes that's hard to do, but there's so many projects, whether it be, um, you know, chemistry or physics or biology that can really be put together, um, to make that experience fun for them. I think the challenge for, um, our blind kiddos is that, a lot of times they aren't given the opportunity to do the hands-on. Um, a lot of times in school, for example, um, they might be given an assistant or they might be partnered up with someone who do all of the hands-on work and then um, are not, and then are just given the data and have to interpret the data. And I, I think yeah. in some places there, there's a fear of liability. There's a fear of, oh my gosh, what if yeah. they get hurt? And, and that's, that's the truth among anyone, right? That's in school, that's doing these experiments, right. but, but there's a lot of fear around that. And that can actually, um, make it harder to find the tools that might make them be able to be included in all of that. And in the long run, it, it makes it less fun, which makes them less inclined to want to pursue that further on down the road. And I think that that's where it needs to right. change is that hands-on needs to be there for them. And I do have to say, I, I I don't know if you've heard this term, but I pulled the blind card when I was in high school, and it was some it was a biology class or something where we were supposed to dissect. I'm pretty sure it was a, a I remember if it was a frog or what I don't remember what it was, but um, I could not handle it. 
at all on any level. And because one, I'm a vegetarian and I just, it wasn't just mentally and physically, I just could not go there. And Mm -hmm. I actually asked my mom, you know, could you kind of take this on and get me out of having to do this? And she did. And, you know, she, she pulled the blind card, you know, and Mm -hmm. for those out there in the audience, it's, you know, it, and I, I am ashamed of it. I don't do it very often in my life, but I did not know how to get out of doing it Mm -hmm. without pulling that blind card. And, Mm -hmm. and even to this day, I, I would not want to do that, but also, but when, when you're saying kids, blind and visually impaired kids are not getting the hands-on exposure. I, I exactly that. So my mom, whatever she wrote or whoever she talked to, what I did is then I, I was still in the room when it was all going on, but I just, you know, I, I took the notes and I, I um, translated the data. And so that was my part of being part of that team, which mm-hmm. that's the part I love doing anyway. <laughs> so it went right along with, with that. But I also, in other organizations that I've worked with, we have worked with um, schools that, that that set up STEM laboratories and things like that, and where we had large groups of kids coming in and out, you know, doing the different activities. And there was not a single blind or visually impaired kid there. But the one thing I did notice, because I helped set it, set it up, is that these are not very accessible on any level. Um, and so do you think that would be one of the first steps is even making some of these STEM projects accessible? Like maybe that's why kiddos are not going into this field as much as maybe they would like to is because it's I, an I accessibility thing. That, that is one one of the bigger pieces of it um is mm. i mean you have to look at it from some, for, from some different points of view and and the setup is just one piece of that if we look at the right. at the say if you walk into a chemistry lab um you know you have to figure out where the fume hoods are you have to figure out where the chemicals are being kept um there's usually yeah. one fume hood that's um designated for waste of the materials when the experiment right. is done and all of those are labeled usually with um, it's usually they either have prints for something printed on them that says whether it's for organic or aqueous waste, things like that, or for solid waste, right. um, or it'll have someone will just write something on there with a Sharpie or, um, whatever the case may be. But if, if you, if you go feel inside that fume hood, all you can feel is a bunch of different containers and, um, you certainly oh. don't want to be touching that with your bare hands because, you know, so Braille right. on, in that case wouldn't be a good option because, you know, chemicals can be spilled and things like that. But trying to find a way right. to create an accessible laboratory or, or, and, you know, what, no matter what kind of laboratory it is, is, is one step that can be really difficult. You know, can you find where your glassware is? Is, are you able to keep things organized? And can anyone find where, the, where that, where those specific measurements, like if you need a certain size of beaker or graduated cylinder, or volumetric flask, like, can you find those in the lab? Um, it's not always super obvious. And, um, right. you know, you certainly don't want to knock over a bunch of glassware in the process of trying to find a specific one. Um, right. So, and then when you get to the chemicals, again, um, 
they're they're usually very well labeled because I think the majority of of chemicals, for example, are all um, transparent, aqueous, clear liquids. Right. But they're not right. all the same thing, and so they're very clearly labeled, but not in a way that makes it easy for blind people to know what they are. So for me, for example, in a class, I have to rely on my reader scribe to go find the chemical that we're looking for, because there's just no way for me to identify it um, without help at this point. So, you know, accessibility is definitely a concern in the labs. And I think it can be one of the biggest barriers um, that keeps blind people from pursuing that career because it is kind of a tooth and nail fight um in terms of trying to make things accessible um i know my school has done a really good job we have a talking lab quest that i utilize most days um and other equipment but at the same time despite the amount of things that my college has purchased in order to make make it so that me and other blind people can you know, perform as equally as possible in those labs. If, if they tried to get as much as possible, it, it honestly is more than their budget allows for. And then that creates its own barrier as well as is the cost mm-hmm. of some of the equipment um, to make things accessible. So, you know, you, you run into a lot of those barriers and, and that's where I tend to get to where if, if things were different, if every company and everything that was made was yeah. built from the ground up so that it was inclusive to all, you know, whether it be deaf, blind, mobility impairments, neurological impairments, whatever the case may be. Um, right. Able to be used by someone, say, if someone only has one one arm to work with, like they should still be able to do chemistry. You know, it's like, how do right. you make this just a universal design that makes it work for everyone? And how different would science be if if things were done that way? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're talking to the choir here. <laughs> uh, I, I have a, I have a little saying I've, I've, I have that the only thing that makes somebody disabled is lack of access, no matter what it mm-hmm. is. And once that access is created and like you said, once, if it's created from the, the ground up, you know, like if the, the lab was built, from the onset to be accessibility for everybody, then it wouldn't matter if you had a disability or not. And I, I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's my dream of the whole entire world is that we need to, whenever we create anything whatsoever, we need to kind of go back to the drawing board and stop, quit creating things the same over and over again because all that does is puts up barriers for people with a disability, no matter what it is. Whereas we need to go back from the beginning. And it's like, how do we create, regardless if it's sidewalks to schools to labs, if we created an accessible environment from the get-go, then the whole, you know, like you said, like how many more people would be able to get into this field that that you love so much if it was accessible and what are we missing out on by having these barriers and people aren't getting, you know, becoming scientists that, I mean, who knows what, what's hidden behind those brains, but they never get a chance to express it. Mm -hmm. Well, and sometimes I think that 
people don't know what they might be missing either. Um, I think that there's an automatic assumption that because someone is blind, um, that they can't perceive things the way that someone who does it in the quote unquote normal way does. And to some extent that might be true, but I think what's important to acknowledge is that we might see something that they can't, um, because we're looking at it, you know, we're looking at it from a different point of view. Um, and it might open doors yeah. that they might not otherwise have seen because we're looking at it from that different perspective. Exactly. Wow. And I know that that is, you know, it's a goal for a lot of people. Um, but, and, and I, I think we have, even in my lifetime, there's been a, a, a lot of things that have changed. But every time, like, I meet somebody like you and I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's 2022. Should we should have figured this out by now? <laughs> you know, and, and, but we still have so much more to do. And then also because the world and technology is changing so fast that on some levels, I think that's really good. But on other things, I feel like, I, I, I feel like we're going backwards leaving. sometimes. Yeah. I think that, that sometimes the speed at which we are growing in like the technology field and, and, and different fields mm-hmm. like that, it, it does kind of leave certain groups of people in the dust. Um, if those things were yeah. growing with inclusivity in mind, I think that would be different. You know, maybe we'd be going a fraction slower, but everyone yeah. would be able to use it. And I think that right. if that were the goal, Man, I, I think our society would be on a whole nother level if that were the goal. But I do think that that yeah. speed is sometimes a problem, that speed at which they're trying to grow and do more and do more and do more. I'm like, yeah, let's do more, but let's do more for everybody, not just one group of people. Right. Exactly. And find new ways to do it. You know, I, mm-hmm. I'm i a big believer that, I mean, it's mental illness, continuing to do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Like, I think we just really need to switch pivot or whatever you want to say, call it into thinking different when we're creating, no matter what it is. So that's, so with your career, do you see yourself making some of those changes? I would like to. Um, I think that Access and inclusion needs to needs to be there for everybody. Um, and if it's not already there, if there's a way for me to make it, why not? You know, I've I've already done that for um, a work study job that I participated in a couple semesters ago. Um, I, I wanted to do this job. We weren't sure it was going to work. Um, in order to make it accessible, I designed a. a um, a frame for the, for the, um, microplate that I needed to use in that work study. And, um, you know, it's, it it was what I needed for me at the time, but potentially it's something that could be used for other people too. And it was just made on the 3d printer. You know, if we have templates of stuff that can be made for people to just be able to access the code and go plug it into a 3d printer. I mean, how great would that be to have access to have accessibility? right at people's fingertips like that. Absolutely. So it kind of sounds like you're already changing it. You know, I'm, how I'm things trying. Can, and opening <laughs> those doors. Yeah. Well, and I do feel like I've had a lot of conversations about this, about 
it does really rely on our shoulders, right? If we want to create change, we cannot wait for other people to do it. We need to find ways within whatever role we are playing in this world. If we can start creating and making those changes, then I think it does sort of feed out into other areas, as well as the next person that comes behind us might have a little bit easier path, but also they have something to build on. So the next person behind you, you know, will take that, you know, 3D printout and be like, ah, this is awesome. But wait a minute, if I tweak it a little bit, it it will work better or, you know, and so I I think it's really amazing. That growth, right? Because, you know, just by making this one thing that I needed for myself, it's like planting a seed, you know, but it's not Mm -hmm. a tree, it's a seed. And so if, you know, you put that out there and someone else, else has access to that, then they can build upon that. And then pretty soon you have a sprout and then someone else might get a hold of that. And, you know, for all you know, in the next 25 years, there, someone might have made something that just pops stuff out for people in five minutes. You, you just don't know where Absolutely. it might grow to, but it allows for that growth to happen. And, um, I think that, that that's how it needs to happen is, is for that growth to occur. Because what I'm seeing right now, I can't see what's going to happen in the future, but it might grow right. into something that can benefit a lot of people. And, um, that's, that's where, um, you know, it really comes in handy just for people to have access to these different ways of, you know, making the world accessible is it, it doesn't just benefit one person. Absolutely. Absolutely. And speaking of tools, what's the number one tool that you use on a day-to-day basis that's kind of your most important tool? Number one tool, huh? Uh, right now, one of my well, I kind of have two, if that doesn't push the boundaries okay. too much. But no, that's um, fine. One one of them is um, the Talking Lab Quest, and um, mm. that allows me to use, um, you know, balances, pH probes, temperature probes, things like that that can plug into it, and that way it gives me the data um, from those tools in an auditory manner. So I can find out awesome. what the temperature is. I don't have to worry about trying to read a thermometer. It, it tells me what the temperature is. Um, same thing with the balance, right. same thing with the pH probe. It gives me that data in real time. Um, the other thing is probably as simple as it sounds, notch syringes right now. I, I have to get a certain measurement of liquid. Oh. I use a notch syringe. Um, it's, it's very yeah. simple, very not fancy, but it, at the same time, it is an important instrument for me to be able to um, you know, get specific measurements of chemicals on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. So do your classmates also use those tools or is this specifically for you? No, this is specific to me. Um, in, in the chemistry lab, okay. most people use um, pipettes. Um, class A pipettes okay. are, are pretty common at, at this level um, for measurement so that you can get a very specific volume of liquid. Um, well, pipettes, okay. like much of the chemistry equipment, has a line that's painted on the glassware that you have to use your eyes to figure out when to stop, which doesn't work okay. very well when your eyes don't work properly. And, right, um, right. and so, you know, they, they measure out their chemicals in a different manner. And then, you know, when it comes okay. to, you know, a te- I use a temperature probe connected to the Talking Lab Quest, they, they just use a thermometer 
or they just use, right. um, you know, a regular balance that gives them an, a visual readout or, or they just use, you know, a pH probe that connects to a computer that they just read off the screen or, or collect the data on the screen. Um, and so, okay. you know, they're, they're doing all of their stuff in a visual manner and the, the talking lab quest allows me to get that same data in, in a manner that I can utilize without relying on someone else. Oh, okay. The reason I ask is because I, I have found that sometimes with accessible tools, my classmates or, or even my coworkers, even, you know, as I entered my career, found that the tools that I were, was using was actually made their life easier. Like it, it was, it enhanced what they were doing. So that's why I asked is that sometimes the tools that we have to use because it's the only way we can have accessibility actually turns out to be a good tool for everybody. Well, I mean, and that's kind of the definition of universal design that we talked about earlier, right? Yes. Is that yeah, while it exactly. may, may have initially been put in place for one specific reason, it ends up benefiting a lot more people than that. So if you take something like the Talking right. Lab Quest, um, it, it may have initially been designed to allow someone who's blind to be able to, to um, get auditory readings, but if you consider someone who has a different print disability, um, maybe they're dyslexic or maybe, um, you know, right. there's some other reason why they have a harder time with, with a visual, uh, with visual print, it might be a better option for them to be getting that information auditorily than visually. Um, same thing with the syringes. Um, I use them because I can have a tactile marking to get my, um, my chemicals, but if you have someone who has, um, maybe their hand is structured differently, or maybe they only have one hand, or maybe, um, which would make with a pipette mm. using the bulb that would normally be used with it harder to do. Um, right. there may be a number of reasons why using a syringe and, and, and there's, I'm sure plenty of things out there that I can't even think of, right. of why that might work better for someone rather than a pipette. So it, it definitely, I mean, that's what part of all of this is about is it doesn't have to be just for one population of people, even, right. even when you're creating accessibility, there might be uses for it among, for a lot of other people that we can't even think of right now. Um, that makes right. it easier for them to also achieve their goals. Right. Right. That's great. Well, what, what gets you motivated when you're having a bad day? I don't know. I mean, Augie, my dog is pretty good at uh, getting me motivated. Uh -huh. he, he's like, I can be super grumpy when I get up first thing in the morning and he's just super excited. He's like, oh my gosh, I haven't <laughs> seen you in eight hours. Let me come give you so much love. You can't even stand it. You know, and he, he changes my mood pretty quickly. That's always, um, that's always uh -huh. a good way to start the day. Um, you know, it's, it's great to have, to have, you know, him running up to you. So happy to see you. Um, yeah. turns my mood around really quickly. Um, sometimes I'll put on some music, you know, dance around in the morning a little bit. And I don't know. It just kind of depends, I guess. Yeah. I don't know if that's what yeah. you're looking for. <laughs> no, it is. It is. I, cause you know, a lot of our audience out there, you know, they've, they've sent a message like, oh, you know, that's, great that so-and-so got to do this, but it's because they're wealthy or they're super smart or, you know, this kind of dropped into their lap. And I'm like, 
yes, but we're all human, you know, and I, I think we mm-hmm. all have hard days. We all have good days. And I think it's, yeah. but it's, I, I love when people share like, you know, what, what can get them back on track. And I know, cause I know as a student and it's been a number of years since I was a student, at least at, at a university, I, I, I will always forever be a student, I hope, but in life, but it, it's a lot, it's a lot. Um, or at least it was for me. And, you know, I, I, yeah. I was not one of those wealthy students. I, I worked full time. I went to school full time and, you know, I, I look back now, I was like, how did I ever do that? But you're kind of in the moment, but, yeah. but I, I agree. Well, I mean, you know, I think my, she is definitely one of them. She is like my cure all oh. for everything in life. I'm not, I'm not the same person until I've had my first cup of tea in the morning. Oh. That is probably <laughs> my favorite way to just be ready in the, in the beginning of the day. Cause it's, for me, it's kind of a meditation process, you know? I, I do, I do like the whole thing. I have the teapot and I have, I put the hot water in it and I get the teapot warm while I'm boiling my water. And then I have my tea leaves. I do like the loose leaf tea leaves and like, it's a whole process for me to make my tea in the morning. And it's, it's honestly almost meditative. And that first cup of tea, oh my gosh, there's nothing like it for me. It just (laughs) makes me such a happy person. That's, (laughs) it's the best thing ever. What's your favorite tea? Uh, Earl Grey is my favorite. Earl Grey is? Wow. I, I drink That's other awesome. kinds too, but first thing in the morning, I have to have my Earl Grey. It's wonderful. Yeah. You mentioned your guide dog, Augie. Can you share what it was like that very first time you walked with him? Um, If I'm brutally honest, a little terrifying. Yeah. Um, that, yeah. that very first time. Uh, you know, putting the trust in him fully, not having the tactile feedback coming from the cane, um, that I'd gotten used to having all the time. Um, you know, there's definitely, you, you have to take those first few steps and, and just fully trust. And that was hard. Um, that very first walk was hard and, but it was also exhilarating. Like I was walking at a pace that was, um, much faster, which I loved because I, I was always a fast walker and, um, before I lost my vision and, um, the more I walked with him, the better it got. And honestly, it's been, it's been a wonderful fit for me. It's, it's not for everyone. Right. There's plenty of people who, who right. prefer canes and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and I still use my cane all the time, you know, when I'm in the lab, um, obviously I'm not walking around right. with my dog. He's, he's under a table taking a nap while I'm getting around with my cane. Um, but I, I do, you know, it does make getting just around campus from point A to point B when I just need to get somewhere in a rush, but don't really need to know everything around me in that moment. It, it makes it a really great, um, method of travel for me. And, and I'll, and I'll be honest, the, the companionship's pretty great too. Yeah. It definitely, <laughs> definitely. Uh, well, Karis, what would you like the takeaway from today to be to our audience? I think the main thing is is if you if you are interested in science, if you want to do science, you know, do science. Get into science. Um, don't let the struggle be what deters you from your dream. If that is what you really want to do. Um, go into it head first, knowing that there are going to be challenges 
and, um, you know, help, help make it more accessible so that more people can follow you. It's, is it going to be easy? No, it's not going to be easy at all, but, um, it might be easier for the next person. Um, you know, when, when you've put in the work to help make it more so, so, you know, don't let it stop you because the more we can show people, um, what blind people are capable of, I think the less stigma there will be of, um, people thinking that blind people can't do something, um, in that field. So, um, let, let's just make it more commonplace for blind people to be in the sciences. I think that'll be a good thing. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Karis, I always give an up. Op- I've been asking you a ton of questions. I always give an opportunity for my guest to ask me a question. Do you have a question for me? It, it can mm-hmm. be anything. Or are you just been curious? What's your favorite food? Oh, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> wow. I, I love ethnic food. Like I love, um, you know, anything like, but like true ethnic food. So like when I, if I go out for Mexican food, I like to be more authentic. Um, but I absolutely love Indian food because of all the spices and the, Mm -hmm. the textures and also because they have so many vegetarian dishes but I'm a vegetarian. Yes. So if, um, oh, that sounds if lovely. somebody asks, a friend introduced me to that recently and I fell in love with the sog oh. <laughs> And I think especially in the winter, I feel like it's warming, like all the yes. spices they use. And oh yeah, now you're making me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, well, Karis, would you like to share with our audience either a program or um, something or or, or place that has touched your life that you would like to share. Um, Like I know you mentioned you went through the Colorado Center for the Blind. You also, I mentioned that you got a scholarship through the National Federation of the Blind, Mm -hmm. but is there, is there a shout out you would like to give either a program or an organization or, or a human being on their own? Uh, Feel Um, free to. Does it have to be blindness related? No, absolutely not. Okay. So, um, my, my school is currently, um, there's a program at my school called the Ethics Scholars Program that, um, I want to give a shout out to them just because they are, um, paving the way for, um, helping create support systems so that students who, um, grow up in foster care or are homeless when they are kids or, um, are in kinship programs or anything like that are able to get the support they need to actually make it through college. And, um, that they have put that together, I think is just so wonderful to help, um, students who might otherwise not be able to get through college actually get through college and find the resources they need to do so and have a support system around them to help them do that, I think is, um, just absolutely amazing and inspirational and, um, you know, I, I have to give them a shout out because it is huge. You have their website. Um, well, it's it's part of the MSU. Sorry, uh, it's 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 through them. So um, it's msudenver.edu/epic-scholars. Well, Karis, thank you so much for coming on today. I hope you feel better. I hope you get over this spread you have, and you have the the rest of your break. Um, is beautiful and and you get to spend it with family and friends. 
I really, really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I also definitely want to give a shout out to Audio Information Network of Colorado, because without all of you and you know who you are, you work so hard on the back end to make this podcast available week after week. And I really, really, really appreciate it. I also want to give a thank you to all of our volunteers who give thousands of hours of your skills in reading newspapers and magazines and all the different things that you read for listeners just like me and Karis. And we really, really, really appreciate it. We have the best volunteers in the world. And I always want to give you guys a shout out. So we really, really appreciate it. So everybody, you know, check in next week with us. Um, we'll have another amazing guest. And all of you out there who have kiddos that are blind and visually impaired, or if you are a teenager or even a young adult or not even young, if you are interested in science, I really hope that Karis's story today will inspire you to, you know, set aside your fears and to explore. That's what life is all about. So everybody out there, remember to be kind to yourself and find a way to be kind to someone else. It's good for your soul. And we will see you next week.